0: Humble us, our mighty Lord, under your sovereign and good hand, that we might see your glory and uh, the way your glory works in our weakness, that we might uh, praise your name. Amen. Well, how do you feel about your weaknesses? If you're anything like me, uh, you try to hide them. You know, you play to our strengths that's the phrase isn't it play to your strengths you know, work out whatever those are we laugh don't we i, I don't know if you've done this uh, laughing at those poor souls who go on britain's got talent you know the auditions not the later ones the early ones the ones who have no real talent at all you know uh, they're the ones who do the rounds on on social media aren't they the, the clips go on on the web and it's the singers who can't hold a note And we laugh at how bad they are. We feel sorry for them, don't we? We feel sorry because they don't realise how bad they are. Even as we retweet it or as we we post it to Facebook so everybody else can laugh at them as well. We, We wonder, how could you put yourself through that to be so incompetent and yet expose yourself to the ridicule of the whole world? I guess none of us have ever sat down and thought... I'm really scared of heights, so I'm going to go and build skyscrapers. Or, I'm really rubbish at languages, so I'm going to go and study Japanese. We don't do that, do we? We don't choose our weaknesses and then play to them. We play to our strengths. And we hide our weaknesses. And we do it in our jobs. You know, we, we choose jobs that play to our strengths. And we, we try to play up those strengths and, and reduce our weaknesses in the workplace. We do it with relationships, don't we? However many times... Uh, In our friendships and in our family situations, we have uh, had our weaknesses exposed and then felt threatened. I've felt like we have been exposed and fallen out with people because of it. Uh, None of us likes to feel exposed. And yet, here is Paul on the preaching equivalent of Corinth Scott Talent, and he's rubbish he can't hold a note. It's as if Paul is auditioning for the role of apostle and he's completely unqualified. And, and so the Corinthians are, are assuming that Paul is useless and are abandoning him and abandoning his gospel. But we've seen that, the criteria, the super apostles in Corinth are using to judge Paul's ministry, they're basing all that on externals, aren't they? And how impressive people are. they They're offering a solution, if indeed they're offering a gospel at all, a solution to the world's problems that really relies on them being charismatic leaders. Come and join our club. And on preaching the law. Uh, Be better people. And everything will be okay. Uh, They've seriously failed to grasp how devastating the problem of sin is, aren't they? Uh, Paul has told us nobody's competent to deal with the problem of sin. It's like trying to do open heart surgery on somebody with a spoon. You can't do it. You'll kill the patient. And yet Paul has been made competent by God. He's given Paul a gospel that brings people from spiritual death to life, gives people new hearts. The power's not in in Paul. The power is in God who gives life. But the question that's still hanging for Paul when we get to today's passage is this. If your gospel is so glorious, Paul, if it is so powerful and transforms lives in the way that you claim, why are you so weak and useless? And I think we need to hear this, don't we, this morning, because there's a very real danger for us, I think, particularly as competent professional people. Many of you guys do uh, complex jobs for which you are super qualified. You've had years of practice. You've got great skills in what you do. You feel very competent. It's, it's as if you've got a career that is right in the sweet spot of all your competences coming together. And it's great, isn't it? But because we're so competent in one area of our lives, we can be very nervous about our weaknesses when it comes to ministry mission evangelism and we feel super unqualified in that area don't we we feel weak we feel useless just like paul really (laughs) but unlike paul i think that often leads to us backing away from ministry from from mission from speaking about jesus we're afraid of being exposed of being publicly humiliated like those poor folk on britain's got talents or paul here in corinth we're afraid of Our weakness is being put on display for the whole world. But Paul is going to show us this morning that God has deliberately kept him weak. Because through his weakness, God's glory shines out even more. Paul's weakness is part of God's plan for saving lost people. And so that's our first point this morning, really. God deliberately keeps us weak. That's verses 7 through to the middle of verse 12. Now the promise of the gospel is that one day we will experience the same resurrection as Jesus. We'll get new bodies that never grow old and never grow frail. I was struggling to walk over here this morning to my knees playing me up, I don't know why. Uh, that'll not happen anymore. Bodies that can run for hours without getting tired. Bodies that are fit for the new creation. In fact, we're going to get to that in chapter 5 in a couple of weeks' time, as Paul talks about as being new creations. But right now, verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay. The treasure here, I think, is found back in verse 6, where Paul has talked about the light of the gospel of Jesus, which has flooded into the hearts of every believer when we trusted Christ. He talks about it in terms of being a new creation. God speaking as he spoke at the first creation to bring new life to dead souls. That's what we're talking about here a gospel that has transformed uh, the people. When Paul says back in 3 verse 18, you remember from a couple of weeks ago, that we are being transformed from one degree of glory into another, he doesn't mean we're getting Botox. He doesn't mean our outward appearance is becoming more glorious. He's talking about our our spiritual appearance, our our internal change, our character formation, becoming like Jesus. You see, there's a sense in which the resurrection life of Jesus is future for us, isn't there? It's still to come. It's future in the sense that our bodies don't have that life yet. But there's also a sense in which we already are new creations, that, that, that we have a new spirit in us, we have new life, a new purpose, a new motivation. We experience this treasure now. The word of the gospel has come into us, flooded our, our souls with light and transformed us and is transforming us bit by bit. That's a treasure worth having, isn't it? But it's a treasure that for the time being is in jars of clay. If we think archaeologically for a moment, you'll know that uh, clay jars are often found at, at archaeological digs all over the world because these bits of broken pottery, they, they tell us how people lived and they were, they were commonplace. That's why they survived. There's these broken pots outside every house in every part of the world. They're not pretty. They're, they're functional. They don't look like, like our plastic cups. You don't serve wine in them, unless you're at a student party. Um, you, You don't keep your treasures in them, do you? They're not to be put on the mantelpiece to be ornamental. They're ugly, functional things that are deeply unimpressive. And when they crack, you just throw them away. And that is what we look like when our weaknesses are exposed. Useless, ugly, functional, disposable, broken people. And Paul says that is deliberate. It is planned by God. We have this incredible new life of of really being transformed day by day by day into the image of Jesus. But it's stored in these frail bodies. And Paul is talking about our weaknesses here in the most general terms. It isn't just Christians who are weak, is it? Everybody knows weakness. Everybody knows physical, emotional, spiritual weakness. But Paul is is talking about a ministry here that exposes our weaknesses to the world. He's talking about the task for which no Christian can be competent. Our jobs, our hobbies, our interests, they they all play to our strengths and we play down our weakness because we, we want to be seen to be strong and powerful people like the super apostles here in Corinth. But mission and ministry deliberately displays the other side. It deliberately puts on display our weaknesses so that Christ's resurrection life may be displayed in us. Just look down again at verse 7 and notice the to show. Why does God do this? To show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. See, the super apostles here, these false teachers in Corinth, they want glory for themselves. But God keeps real ministers, missionaries, evangelists, regular members of churches simply trying to speak and live for Jesus. He keeps us weak. He keeps us weak so that there is no doubt where this power comes from. When we put Jesus on display, when we talk about him, there's no doubt about where the power comes from. Look at verse 10. So that Christ's life may also be revealed in our body. Or verse 11. So that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. Our mortal bodies. Do you hear the intention Stated over and over again, our frail, weak bodies, God intends to display the glorious resurrection life of Jesus in us. We are deliberately jars of clay. In fact, Paul calls the jars of clay experience here, death. At the beginning of verse 12, he says, death is at work in us. Verse 10 We are carrying around in our body the death of Jesus. Or verse 11, we who are alive are always being given over to death. And this is not Paul's normal word for death. It's not like the if I go out and get hit by the 156 outside and I'm dead as I hit the ground. It's not that kind of death. It's a special word. It's the word necrosis. It's the process of decaying. Even while we're alive, it's, it's the rotten flesh, it's the, uh, the limbs that start to die, even while we're still breathing. It takes us right back, really, to chapter 2 and verses 14 to 16. You remember, Paul talked about the triumphal procession. And he said, we are the aroma of death to those who are perishing. The Christian life, to those who will not trust in Jesus, stinks. It, it's kind of meant to we take up our cross and follow Jesus and our weaknesses are exposed. And through that, God shines the light of his resurrection in us. You see, we're these little cracked, broken things. But inside us, See, this would work really well if I had a dark background here. So, forgive me, it's not... What I really wanted to do was get one of those torches from, the, um, from those police helicopters and just, that would kind of get the scale of things. But maybe you can just about see if I can actually light the candle. Hopefully, hopefully, you can see just a bit of the light shining out of there. See, the more cracked we are, the more clearly the light of Christ shines out of us. That's the dynamic that's being explored in verses 8 and 9. Let's hope I don't set fire to the plastic. Uh, four pairs of antitheses in verse 8 and 9. Just take a look with me. The first of each pair is uh, the weakness. It's the death that's at work in us. And the second is the way that the resurrection shines through us. Okay? Paul begins with hard-pressed on every side. It's the sense of being caught in a vice it's the same language that paul used right back in chapter 1 verse 8 where he tells us that we were under great pressure he said far beyond our ability to endure he says we despaired of life itself can you see that it's it's the broadest of all these antitheses in this little list here it's it's not just the physical crushing that sense of being oppressed which paul knew very well as we'll get to chapter 11 it's also spiritual and uh, psychological So Paul isn't just talking about his persecutions here. He mentions that in verse 9, doesn't he? We're being persecuted, which of course comes as a result of his ministry. He wouldn't be persecuted if he'd stayed in Jerusalem and stayed as a Jew. But he's also talking about his physical ailments. We'll find out in chapter 12 about his thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that was, but it's probably some sort of medical condition that meant that he couldn't do his, his ministry very well. We know that the, the super-apostles, they accuse him of ineloquence. He's, he's tongue-tied, he can't speak properly. And those things are exposed in his ministry. Uh, Paul, if he stuck to writing books, he'd be fine, wouldn't he? His letters are very eloquent. But when he's in person, as a preacher, Paul's terrible. Uh, this, uh, this list covers overwork. That sense of not enough hours in the day to do all the things you're supposed to do well. It's Paul's burden for the churches where he's constantly in prayer for them. It's, it's being perplexed. And not being sure why God has brought you into the valley of the shadow of death at this time. And not really being sure how he's going to bring you out of it. It's to do with mental health. Paul despaired of life itself. And some of us will know that feeling. Perhaps some of us know that feeling right now. In every way, Paul is weak. It's so, it's so easy to think, isn't it, as, as Christians, we look back to the success, the fruitfulness of Paul's ministry, and we think Paul must have been this great, dynamic, powerful man, and he was anything but. Ministry didn't play to Paul's strengths at all. Paul, uh, well, Paul was uh, the Jewish, Jewishest man in Judaism. He had this great heritage. He had this great education. He could have been a very significant civil servant, in in the Jewish nation. But God had a plan to play against all of his strengths and to play to his weaknesses, to expose him like a raw nerve for all the world to see. And yet, Paul is not crushed. He's not abandoned. He's not destroyed. Paul is crushed physically but not spiritually stressed but not stressed out he's he's knocked down but he's not knocked out he keeps going in the strength that god provides keeps loving and serving people keeps on with ministry that leaves him weak and weaker and all the time the light of the resurrection is sharing, sh- shining out through paul in all the cracks I wonder, do you run away from your weaknesses? It's tempting, isn't it? Is there a ministry you could be involved with in the church that perhaps you should be involved with, but you feel weak, too weak to, uh, to be useful? I'll stick to the things I can do professionally, I can do well, but I, don't, I can't serve there. Does it scare you to serve? Can I say, embrace your weakness. Because through your weakness, God is being revealed. Paul says in chapter 12, when I am weak, then I am strong. And so he embraces his weakness. How, do you, how are you with your evangelism? Let's put that one out there. Paul, after all, is most weak and most exposed when he is speaking of Jesus. So how do you feel? I guess for most of us, we feel weak. We feel exposed. We feel raw do you feel like you don't have the right words to say or you won't have all the answers do you feel like you can't talk to that person because your life is such a mess you know the neighbor who comes down to your house and and everything is chaos and the kids aren't behaving you just think how can i possibly speak of a powerful glorious gospel when my life is so tumultuous do you feel so unimpressive that you doubt anyone will listen to you well good That is how you are supposed to feel. So that through your weakness, God's glory will shine more and more. That is the way of the cross. Christ died to fix our relationship with God. And we die daily to follow him in order to introduce people to the saviour. Christ is risen to new life. To an indestructible, incorruptible, never-fading glory in his resurrection body and we will be there one day too we will be just like him and it will be glorious yet even now in these jars of clay bodies god is revealing the power of his resurrection as we keep going and keep serving despite ourselves the weaker we are the more glorious god is seen to be do you see Unlike so many in the world, we can say there is a purpose in our weakness, in our suffering, in our struggles, in our hardship. But, but the glory of God shining out through our hardships is not the end. And this point is critical, I think. Just notice what motivates Paul to keep going in ministry. Look at verse 14 with me. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with him. Paul has addressed the physical resurrection in in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It seems that the Corinthians were prone to thinking that this life is all there is. That what God was always promising in the gospel was this life turned up to the max. And if that's what you think, then you've got to play down your weaknesses. You've got to hide your weaknesses. You've got to rub them out, haven't you? The gospel has got to surely give us health, wealth, happiness now... Because otherwise, what is there? And I guess that's a common thought in the church. It's a common thought in our society, isn't it? There's nothing beyond this life. So I've got to have everything in this life to the max. And so we have to pretend that our weaknesses aren't really there. So Paul had reminded them then, and he reminds us now, that the physical resurrection of Jesus is real. Jesus rose from the dead. Bodily, you could touch him. He could eat things. He was alive. And that is the evidence that we will be bodily raised with him. This frail, mortal flesh will not survive, but I'll get a new body, and so will you. And that is incredibly important to Paul. But the little because at the beginning of verse 14 there says that this thing, the reality of the bodily resurrection, the future glorious day, motivates Paul to do what he does in verse 13. And that's our second big point. Despite weakness, Paul speaks the gospel. Second half of verse 12 through to the end of 15, uh, we speak the gospel. Remember, this is is the glorious gospel that brings the knowledge of God in the face of Christ. It's the gospel that transforms people. It's the the gospel that is the power of life uh, from the dead. And Paul says we believe the gospel and so we speak the gospel. We have resurrection life and we want others to have resurrection life too. Look at verse 12. It's the hinge verse, I think, in our passage. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Yes, Paul. we die every day. Yes, we are weak and our weaknesses are exposed to the world. But as the resurrection shines through us, As our cross-shaped life conforms to the message about Jesus' cross-shaped life, and as we speak the gospel, verse 13, so life is at work in you, verse 12. Paul quotes from Psalm 116. The psalmist there is suffering, but is sustained by God, and so speaks of salvation. And it is the same with Paul. If you believe the gospel... If you believe that heaven and hell are real, if you believe that Jesus died for your sins to make heaven possible for you, do you believe in the bodily resurrection that that guarantees your own bodily resurrection? If you've believed in the Holy Spirit who has brought new life to you and will raise you bodily with Jesus, then what? Then despite suffering, despite being crushed, exposed, weak, Dying daily, Paul says we speak. And Paul has some weaknesses that are natural to himself. His his thorn in the flesh, his, his speech issues. And he has some that come specifically from his ministry. The more involved in ministry he is, the more likely he is to be beaten up and stoned to death. But Paul embraces all of his weakness that comes with his ministry that comes with mission, that comes with evangelism. And they do hurt. Paul prays to God to take away the thorn in the flesh. Uh, Sometimes, chapter 1, verse 8, he wishes he was dead. It's that hard. It's not a walk in the park, but he embraces his weakness, his death even, so that through him, through him speaking these words, through him shining the light of the resurrection in his brokenness, others might believe. Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me tell you about it, he says. And why? Verse 14 again. Look at the whole verse. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. That with you is massive, isn't it? In the language of verse 15, grace has uh, spilled out to Paul. Paul. God has given him this amazing resurrection life. And one day he will give him the resurrection body to go with it. He's going to bring him to eternal glory. He's been saved from hell. He's been saved for the most glorious existence. Grace has has poured out to him. And he wants that grace literally to superabound, to overflow to others. To go further, to to embrace more people. Paul is, is so convinced that resurrection life is worth having, that he would die every day so that others would be able to hear the gospel, have the veil lifted and be brought to resurrection life. Of course, that's going to mean that other people are going to become exposed and crushed and cracked as well. I've, I've pre-crushed a couple of people here for the sake of uh, ease and speed. But you see, as Paul lives amongst other people, As he speaks the gospel, as he in his weakness is exposed, so other people, let's get that lit, so other people come to know and love the Lord Jesus, and so the light spreads, and that's his point. And I can't do this and talk at the same time, so hard being a man. Well, I've just well, imagine they're all lit. We'll keep going. <laughs> See, the super apostles—they think that real ministry is about drawing people into your club. It's all about looking powerful and successful. And Paul knows, and we know too, don't we? That jumping ship is no good if the ship you jump onto is sinking as well. The only way to avoid eternal damnation, being cut off from the source of life who is Christ, is to come to Christ. To receive the gospel, to have the veil lifted, to have the light shined into your heart. And that isn't something Paul can achieve, nor is it something you and I can do. It's something only God can do, but he chooses to do it through the proclamation of the simple gospel Jesus Christ is Lord. Every Christian here knows the gospel. We can all speak it. Paul says we believe and so we speak. So that others might believe. Yes we're weak. But God uses our weakness. God doesn't want us to get the glory. God keeps us weak. So that we don't get the glory. So that when when people come to faith. We're not going look at us how great we are. He keeps us deliberately weak. So that, that Jesus gets the glory. Through our weakness, the resurrection life of Christ shines. On well, how are we meant to respond to this passage, let me give you four things, uh, four progressive responses, I think, to this passage. And the first has to be where the passage ends, in verse 15. The purpose of all of this, we saw in verse 7, is to show the, the power of God's. And in verse 15, it's supposed to lead to an overflowing of thanksgiving to the glory of God. I think that has two parts to it. The first is that we all should be thankful for salvation, for eternal life, for for the resurrection bodies that are coming to us in the future and so on and so forth. If those things don't excite you at all, let me say there's something wrong. We should be thankful for our own salvation and for the salvation of anybody else who comes to Christ, however that happens. But secondly, it should be a thankfulness that is directed not, not to the preacher, not to the home group leader, not to the evangelist, but to God. See, our weaknesses point away from ourselves to the one who has given new life. All praise, all thanksgiving should go to God. That's the first thing. Are we thankful? Are we full of thanksgiving? But secondly, I take it we need to develop a conviction that this ministry life of Paul's is the real Christian life. But Jesus didn't call us to an easy life. And if you're not a Christian here this morning and you're looking into Christian things, let me say, uh, Jesus isn't calling you to ease. At least not in this life. That, that day will come where everything is easy. When we get our bodily resurrection and we get to be with Christ for eternity, it will be brilliant. But here and now he calls us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. To die daily. That's the yardstick that to measure any ministry. It's all for and all about Christ. So we should be full of thankfulness for what God has done for us. We should be convinced that this is the normal Christian life. Thirdly, we therefore need to develop the conviction that this is the life we should personally be living. Our being alive in Christ compels Paul to speak. And whilst Paul is an apostle, and the shape of his ministry and his life is going to be very different to ours, the basic conviction is that people are saved through weak, broken Christians speaking the truth. And wouldn't it be rubbish if God was keeping us weak, but instead of turning that weakness to his use, we fought against it, we hid it, we, we played it down, we tried to do everything to our strengths. Put on your best front, your Sunday, your Sunday best, you know, everything's fine, I'm doing great. Everything's cool. We hide the cracks through which God would shine the light. And we resist what God is trying to do in us. And so that really brings me to the final point. I guess the the big point of the passage. Will you embrace your weaknesses? Now that's not to say enjoy them. uh, Because Paul would pray against them. But God would say, my grace is sufficient for you. And when you are weak, then you are strongest. Will you embrace the fact that God is keeping you weak? Physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally, in every way that you feel your weakness. It is from God as a gift. So that as you display your weakness and show the power of the resurrection life working through you in those things when you speak to your friends, your family, your neighbours about Christ, and they see both how unimpressive you are and how much difference the gospel makes, they might be saved. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day after day to be like Jesus. Let us be jars of clay that show a strong world that the foolishness of God is, is stronger than man's strength. Can we do that? Well, I'm going to give us five minutes for, for questions. Why don't take 30 seconds to reflect on this passage or, or something we've said over the last two or three weeks since the last time Andy did a Q&A for us. And I'll answer questions for just, a, for just five minutes. okay? And then we'll pray.